Welcome, world. I am your wonderful host, Destiny Jones, from the Girl in the Wheelchair podcast, and you are listening to Episode 1, Advocacy and Activism, Season 1. Today, I have my beautiful guest, Dr. Piggies. Hi, thank you for having me. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of disability rights, personal thoughts on everything, and how to raise awareness about accessibility issues in various ways. I'm excited to have that discussion. It's very important. Tell me, like, elaborate on that. Like, why do you think it's important, especially as a disability user? Right. So... I wasn't always in a wheelchair. I was actually walking for the first 20 years of my life. I was diagnosed with Arnold Chiari malformation, which is congenital, but it didn't present itself until after my brain fell into my spinal column. I went into brain surgery, and as a result of that surgery and the complications, I am now a T10 para with a C1, C2 brain condition. So living this life, sitting down, was a huge shift for me because I was working, I had children, I was traveling. And so to be able to recreate that life sitting was a huge change for me. I say a lot that I was innocently ignorant. And I think the people that we help and serve and advocate with are also that way and they want to learn. And it becomes our responsibility to create a space that's inclusive to all people and our equipment. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. That's pretty admirable as well. Um, I have been in a wheelchair my whole life. My father stepped on me and crushed my spine when I was 13 months old. So I'm a T12 paraplegic. Um, I have a little feeling here and there, but um, it's not, you know, like a normal human um, or whatever the case is, but I enjoy being in a wheelchair. I mean, I'm like, okay, yeah, if I had the opportunity to walk, that's good, you know, but I enjoy, you know, being who I am. Um, I've adapted really well. Um, my advocacy skills are A1. I'm going to let you know I need this when I need it, how I need it, and I feel like that's important, you know, with advocacy because if you don't, you know, say what you need, the world's going to just keep going. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you know, just kind of advocate for what, you know, is in your best interest that whether that's a ramp added, a steel ramp, a a wood ramp, you know what I mean? A one that you can, um, you know, just put in place and move it and take it to the next destination. Right. But it still needs to be something that's, you know, a part of the accessibility and, you know, that will be, for your needs, you know? I agree 100%. If if I can take a moment to share the history of disability and why I believe we are where we are and why you and I as advocates and those who are watching have so much work. Is it okay if I spend a few yeah. minutes doing that? So when I became disabled, I had previously worked in the arena of engineering. So my left brain was crazy. I felt like anything I needed to know needed to be studied. So there are still parts of me that need to understand things. So in my understanding of disability, 
there are several mental models of disability, right? And it's important to understand kind of the point of origin and the point of understanding uh, for most people about what they know about disability. So first, there's something called the charity model. This is probably back in the 60s where they they got the name handicap. So it actually comes from hand in cap where people with disabilities had to beg for money and needed charity to yeah. be able to survive. So that's where the actual word came from. And that's the charity model. So if you were born in that time and that was your origin of, of understanding, then unless there's a huge pivot, that's what you'll always understand and believe. Right. Then there's the medical model where people with disabilities could only exist with medical intervention. And we had no say in our medical help and our medical services. And so since then, in the 1990s, when the ADA was created, um, then the social model happened, right? Um, that's when Judy Human and a whole bunch of other advocates did what they call a capital crawl um, at our state capitol to show policy that we are social beings. We leave the house. We need access to these places. And since you don't have access, we're going to crawl and take over this Capitol building for 12 days, which I think still is the longest anyone has held the Capitol building hostage. Mm -hmm. And so that's when the actual law was created, the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990, July 26, 1990. So every year we still celebrate, but we also advocate because there's so much more that needs to be done. That's where the laws that protect us today started. And it's why I continue the word disability in my conversations. Of course, in social settings, I can call it differently abled. I can call it, you know, uniquely abled. But when I'm advocating, when I'm going before policy, I have to use a word that they understand. Right. So it's not to offend. Temporarily It's paralyzed. definitely, exactly. <laughs> right. I've heard so many and, and they're beautiful, but they're social, not civil. Right? right. And I'm advocating for social and civil rights. So I say all this to say that I used to be them, right? I never understood the need for handicapped parking spaces or ramps. But because of my current position, my disposition, no one can see things the way you and I see things. And no one can pretend to. So the ADA is so important, but we are almost the ones that are policing it. You're right. It's not as well enforced as it should be. And what you're doing is so necessary, so incredible, so brave. And I'm grateful to you for being bold, right? And confident. And wherever you got that, please give me a little bit of that. <laughs> uh, share it with others as you're doing on this podcast and continue to be confident because we need you. Thank you. Well, I guess, do you have any personal thoughts? And I'll talk about some. I do have some personal thoughts. Um, I can tell you as an adult, going from what people call normal, which doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? Or neurotypical, there is no such thing as normal. Mm -hmm. I'm learning that more and more every day. But um, my going from walking to being in a wheelchair, I am a T10 incomplete Mm -hmm. So I still rehab. I'm right. still very athletic uh, because 
in my opinion, my faith can stand me up tomorrow, right? right? That's true. <laughs> and I want right to be now. ready. <laughs> we need right. a miracle. <laughs> That's true. Right this second. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder. But um, I feel like we don't just have to or need to be advocates. This is not just our burden to bear. So through your advocacy, what you're doing is you're flipping bystander models, people just kind of watching and saying, oh, poor little lady in a wheelchair, as I've heard, right, right? Um, to becoming upstanders, right? And then from an upstander position, they can be champions. And we need everyone to help and support us. And I used to feel so much shame and so much guilt and felt so small in rooms because of this, you know, power chair. I also have a manual chair that I use. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got to a point where I was like, listen, you know, I I need to get in the way because when I look at the laws, when I look at the shifts, whether it be a disability shift, a social shift, People intentionally got in the way. Now, I'm not going to roll over anybody's toes, but the point is I want to be visible and seen enough that people wonder, huh, what can I do to help her? Or why is she, you know, asking for help? Good trouble. Yeah. Right. So it's the John Lewis motto that I said, you know what? I need to get into good trouble, get in the way, use my voice, because after my injury, I couldn't walk, talk or work. So I promise God, if you give me back this voice. I will use it to benefit you and others. So that's when we started our organization. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's still kind of weird, but I have to push against those fears because it's not just about me. Right. right? And so um, we started our organization, which is called Your Invisible Disability Group, Mm -hmm. because we have so many people in the community who have disabilities. 60, 61 million people in the United States have a disability. (laughs) One out of every four individuals have either a visible or an invisible disability. I have both. So your invisible disability was meant to empower, equip, include, and advocate for people with disabilities like myself and even those you can't see because you can't see my brain injury. You can't see that my IQ dropped and I was no longer able to continue my education at Harvard and that I had to leave, you know, my job and that I had to learn to synthesize and my cognition changed, like so much changed uh, that you can't see in the things that I suffer with chronic pain. You can't see that, right? 85% of individuals with disabilities in the U.S. today have invisible disabilities. So there's accident, illness, injury. Then you have situational disabilities like COVID. Right. And then you have the temporary disabilities where someone would say, oh my gosh, I was in a wheelchair for six months. I get it now, right? So, so many levels and vertical opportunities to be part of this community, which has no barriers. You can be any color, any creed, any religion, right? It is the largest, largest minority in the country. So you are standing on that power, not just people power, but spending power. So there is an $8 trillion disability economics that people are missing out on if they do not adapt and adjust their policies, their services, and, you know, their business to include us. So that's somewhat personal, but it's also the work that I do, Mm -hmm. um, because even though I think early on my husband told me, you know, 
You can be deep and wide, deep in brain and spinal cord injury knowledge, but you have to be wide enough to help the entire community as an advocate. So I had to study a lot of this and I continue to work with corporations, organizations and schools to help them to be completely inclusive across not just architectural, but attitudinal barriers. So there's a lot of work for us to do out there. Right. And we are so needed. Yeah. And I'm so happy to be on this journey with you. Thank you. And also, I wanted to talk about um, when it comes to advocacy, especially in my perspective of looking at it, I'm young and, you know, I'm still going about every day, you know, growing up in this chair. Yeah. Um, and so I have a, a little ramp that I like have in my storage, but I got it um, from this guy that actually built it. And so it's basically like a, you know, like a travel ramp that I could like take with me. And so I had it at my previous apartment that I was living in and the people seen it along with I had a um like a handicap sign that he also had made too. Nice. And so um the apartment seen it and they were like, oh you don't need that. We're gonna like, you know, put our own. And so one morning I was like sleep and I was like, I heard something like pop, 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 pop. Like they were like putting up a sign because there was not a like a handicap sign. But I, they had like a handicap sticker on the ground, but it was no sign. So regular cars was like parking, like, you know, in the spot. Right. And so uh, one day I like, I was being petty and I like parked my car in the middle of the white lines, still on the, the, you know, the handicap sign or whatever. And so I was like, you know, this is still a handicap parking. You know, this car does not have a handicap sticker. I didn't have one either, but I got a wheelchair. That's enough. And I got a tattoo on my leg, so that's even better. So, you know, I was like, it's there. Mm -hmm. Either way, you obviously see that, like, physically I need to get into the space, you know what I mean, and be able to take my chair out because if I unload my chair and hit your car, that's not my fault. I'm just letting you know right now, it's not my fault. So, you know, that's like, you know, me advocating for what I needed because right. I told the apartment people, I was like, yeah, no, y'all need to tell these people to stop parking here because I'm going to just tell them and just let them know, hey, come and tow this car. I don't see no handicap sign. They're not in a wheelchair. Like, you know, but then it's like they could have a disability mentally or whatever the case is. And I don't even know about it. You know what I mean? So it's like right. also active, you know, activism falls into that, too, because it's like, OK, I know my disability is physical obviously it's you know it's visible right. you know what I mean but then I also struggle with uh mental health you know what I mean I have depression anxiety um my dog is in there so you know he's a ESA dog you know and so it's like but that's other little things that I have you know from like PTSD and trauma and right. all this stuff and so it's like you'll never know what a person really goes through until you like talk to them about it, it doesn't mean you have to sympathize and be like oh poor baby like you know whatever the case is but it's like Just have some type of compassion and, like, you know, just, like, empathy or something. Like, you know, show something. Like, whether you go outside and be like, I didn't mean none of that. You better show it right now. You know what I mean? Like, you better respect me. You know what I mean? Like, you ain't got to like me, but you're going to respect me. You know what I mean? And so that's just, like, my biggest value is respect, especially growing up as an individual with a disability. I didn't, you know, I wasn't born with a disability. It happened to me. So I really have respect because it's like, I'm not going to let anybody else disrespect me like that. Like that was, you know, I know my dad didn't do it on purpose. I love you, dad. But, you know, I still feel some type of disconnect, you know, from it because it's just like, I didn't ask for that, you know, but it's like, I'm going to advocate and I'm going to, you know, stand up until I stand up for what's right, you know? 
So. Love that. I love that. Do you mind if I comment on something you yeah, said? Sure. So you use both the words sympathy and empathy. Right. They are not They're the not same. They're not the same. So sympathy is degrading. Mm-hmm. Sympathy is what I think I received very early on where people would literally pat me on the head mm-hmm. and said, oh, look at you. Right. You're out of the house. Right. Your hair is combed. And right. You have on shoes. I mean, like it, it got really real. Um, but empathy is listening. Showing. Yeah, showing it. Yeah, literally yeah. just listening mm-hmm. and accepting my perspective on my life. Right. And that, believe it or not, doesn't happen as often as it should. There's this mantra called nothing about us without us. Mm. So if you're creating products and services for me, or that I'm going to use my $8 trillion spending capacity to buy, guess who you need to speak with first? Right. Me. Right. There are people who are creating products and services for us, but not by us. So that's where the nothing about us without us comes into play. And every individual with a disability, whether it's visible or invisible, experiences one, if not all of these four pillars that I'd like to share with you. There's, I call it them because I can, you know, I can't always remember, right? The acronym for the four pillars that are so important for individuals with disabilities, especially if not all of them is transportation, healthcare, employment, and medical. And if you've not dealt with any of those, or if you don't understand the capacity and socioeconomic impact that that makes in our people group, then you can't serve us. And so those are the ones that I think we should all think about. Those are the ones that I speak with my clients about. My children even know about it because they are now living in my space. Disability affects your entire family, much like you mentioned, right? So the quantitative quality of serving us means that your support animals coming with you, Mm -hmm. your parents are coming with you, your children are coming with you, your family members are coming with you, and people who know and love me will not tolerate it because they are now upstanders and champions because they've had to be for me, and they can do it when they're not with me because they care so much about me. So when you think of the exponential number of people you're serving – when you're changing for just one person, it's it's kind of a win-win-win, but we have to have those conversations so the mindsets shift to the independent model that we're living in right now, right? So I know you have a car. I have a car. We use hand controls. Right. I have a six-foot ramp that allows me to use a power chair to roll out of my vehicle, so I no longer have to necessarily wait for someone to take me places, but if I did... I need to be able to get on subways and buses and right. airplanes. Right. And so, that needs to be done in advance. Oh, my gosh. Big time. Especially some of these airlines. It's ridiculous. Like, I'll be like, excuse me, uh, security. Because at this point, <laughs> like, y'all knew that this was, you know, supposed to get done because you do it before. But anyway, that's a... But we have to call ahead. <laughs> right. Right. We right. have to call ahead, let them know we're coming, what type of wheelchair we have, how much it weighs, how right. wide and tall is it just so that they have enough cargo space. And I won't even get into using the bathroom on an airplane. Hold it. Just just hold it. Look, well, I went to I went to Paris and uh that was a whole day trip. And you know what? I've just remind I just remember um I told my mom I was like, she said, Is this your first time using the bathroom? I was like, Yeah, get out of the way. I gotta go to the bathroom. Because it was like as soon as we got off the flight, 
it was like I didn't feel comfortable. And maybe that's my fault, you know, because it was like I should have advocated. You know what I mean? Like, I was like 15, didn't really, I wasn't as, I wasn't there yet, okay? But now, if I was to go to Paris again, I would definitely advocate for sure. Like, you can start now. You don't (laughs) even have to be already um, slated to take that trip because there's this huge shift that's happening. It'll probably take another 10 years. But the actual space for a bathroom on a plane does not meet ADA requirements. It doesn't. You need a 60-inch radius so that you can turn your wheelchair in a safe space. In fact, I actually had to crawl when I did go um, on another flight. Not that flight, but when I did have to go, I actually crawled and had to get out of my wheelchair and crawl on the floor just to get on the toilet. Then I didn't even, like, I I washed my hands, but when I washed it, it was pointless because I had to get on the floor and army crawl back. So it was like, not my hands dirty. So How but, is that humane, though? How, yeah, is that, it's, how is that inclusive? And, again, the ADA is 33 years old mm-hmm. as we have this conversation today, and it's going to take another 10 years to make, you know, ADA almost half a century old for them to accommodate individuals like ourselves who cannot otherwise mobilize into this space. Real quick story. You know, I've been on, I've been on um, flights where they did not have the aisle chair already on the plane after it takes off. So there was no way for me to get to the bathroom, but also in cases where I did, the unit itself is too big to fit into that room. So I literally had one person standing behind me on top of the toilet, pulling me in and two people on the outside pushing me in. Then she had to step over my head to get out, to give me some privacy. And then the whole thing started again to put me back into my assigned seat. By the time I got to my destination, I was bruised from the shoulder to the knee Mm. and we're usually handled what six times each way. So I have to go from my chair to the aisle chair the aisle chair to the The um, airplane seat, from the airplane seat back to the aisle chair, the aisle chair to my chair. And in every case, someone is literally, because I'm a full lift, Mm -hmm. they have to pick me up and move me and manipulate. I've been dropped. So I won't even get into, yeah, because I I mean, I travel probably about 40 to 60% now. I don't travel as much, but it's a hassle. So the destination is always amazing. But until people hear these stories, And I've even had incidents where the loading zone that you were talking about next to your vehicle Mm -hmm. was used as a parking space. Right. And so this time I was at an airport. So I don't know when they're coming back. Mm -hmm. And um, most of the time it's, you know, at a restaurant or somewhere. So here I am independently getting to my destination, but I can't get back in my car because someone saw the loading zone as a cool place to pull their car in. And thereby blocking me from leaving. And there are just so many barriers that we can probably have a conversation about. But (laughs) advocating becomes part of your lifestyle because of all the barriers that we face. And there are people who will not leave their homes, a place that they have made safe, right? Um, Because it's just so much stress, much like you were saying, PTSD. Right. And all the fear and pain and shame of having to deal with this every single time we leave the house. Right. Yeah, it's, 
I I can talk um a lot more on that. We're about to, you know, wrap this up. But I, you know, I definitely hope that you enjoy, you know, being able to use your voice and speak. Not only just, you know, me talking, but I hope that you enjoyed, you know what I mean? Yes. Deep down inside, because your voice matters too. And that's what's important about this whole thing is advocating for your voice to help other people, not just me, but for you to help other people because you know a lot about, you know, just, you know, that. And I'm I'm younger than you, so you're helping me. You're schooling me, you know? They say yeah. you're schooling me old school. Yes. <laughs> Look, but you are. And I really appreciate you joining me on today. It was awesome. I Look, I want to keep talking. Look. <laughs> but I really enjoyed, you know, having you here. So I did thank enjoy. You. I did enjoy being able to have this conversation and not have to dig so deep because you may not get it or you may not understand it. So thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate being here today. Well, guys, that sums it up. I hope you all enjoyed online. Please for, please don't forget to um, follow our IG page at the Girl in the Wheelchair podcast and also send a DM on your favorite part of today's you know segment Anything that we said, anything that Dr. Piggy said that you guys liked, please, you know, send it and incorporate just anything and we'll get back to you and we'll see you next time. Signing off, I'm your host, Destiny Jones.